difference between what it means to be good when you're trying to be epic. Uh, no, you don't gotta believe in me. Nothing can stop me. I already said it. I'm taking everything they stole from us. Yeah. You got your problems, I'm a whole nother. I'm giving people something to believe in. I'm a show them freedom like a bone cutter. Welcome back, everyone, to its last call. Last call of the alcohol only on it is the Blue Wire Hustle Network. And, well, I'm a bit under the weather, but, hey, it's not stopping from doing interviews. And this man here will be fighting two days after Thanksgiving. It will be Dubois versus – it is the big, huge fight. But, well, this man, he'll be in action against Muhammad Ali, Bayat Farid in a cruiserweight fight of all places or – Sorry, yes, a cruiserweight fight. Now, it's not bridge fight yet. We're trying to get rid of that crap here. I give you all the way from its Derbyshire unit, UK. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, Jack, so let's start off here. You, Muhammad Ali, Bayat Farida, how big is this fight for you? I mean, where does, how big is this for you in terms of your career going forward? Yeah, it's a big fight. Um it's basically the, the winner of this will be fighting for a major title uh, early on next year. So, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's a big fight. Um, you know, we've both got similar records. I've had 17 fights, won 16, lost one. And he's had 18 fights, won 16, knocked 16 out and lost, uh, lost one and drawn one. So, you know, it's an even matchup and it's going to be, a, I think it's going to be a good, explosive, exciting fight. Take us to what he brings to the table. I mean, when you look at him, same record as you, except he has a draw. He's a bit older. He's from Iran, the yeah. way of Dubai. He hasn't fought anybody yet. So how tough is it getting a, a beat on what he is when you look and go, yeah, he hasn't fought anybody of note. I mean, there's nobody on his record, but you look and go, I recognize, I recognize this guy in both circuits. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've had a little look at him in, on uh, on YouTube. I've I've watched some YouTube videos, but um, still, to to get sixteen knockouts out of sixteen wins, it's you know, it's pretty impressive. It shows that he can, he can, you know, he's got a fair whack on him and he can punch. You know, he's a big puncher. Um, but I think we're just going to go out there and uh, stick to my boxing skills and uh, hopefully get a, a nice stoppage. When you look at YouTube clips, when you're doing all this, so it means it's tough figuring out sort of certain things in because, as I said, it's YouTube clips. It's guys who are, for the best part right now, you know, there's nobody right now that you look and go, holy crap, you know, this is a guy I know or he's fought in a guy that I've seen before. He's fought a lot of guys over in Iran, over in Germany. He's fought, you know, the kind of guys that you look and go, yeah, are they even real boxes? Are these in, even sanctioned fights? I mean, how tough is it ga mm. you know, gauging like hand speed, you know, all this stuff that, you know, he might bring because he hasn't fought anybody. He's, you know, he is still a sort yeah. of a fighter. Yeah, like you say, in the videos, it's hard, it's, hard to, it's hard to judge because he's not really getting tested much himself, apart from a couple of fights that I've seen. Um but you can pretty much judge him on 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 the work he's he's doing. Um, you know, we've been practicing a few little things. I think you can tell that he's he's got a very slow jab, um, slow footwork, little bits like that. So you can pick up little things like that. But like I say, it's hard to judge with the opponents he's been fighting. We'll go back to this fight in a bit. Takes back to your last fight, Richard Reakpor versus you. Uh... <laughs> Unfortunately, your first loss. Uh, what went right? What went wrong? When did you when did you feel this fight was turning in against your favor? Like when did you feel that it went okay? Something's not working here. I got to do something. I, you know, it's, it's just it's not working here. Yeah, to be honest, it was a bit of a controversial fight. Um, you know, some could have said I won the fight. A lot of people did after on Twitter. And social media outlets, a lot of people in the boxing world, and even the commentary on the fight had me up after after the fight had finished. Um, so I was pretty confident after the fight that I was winning. Um, you know, it, it was it, it was a mad fight. He was holding on for dear life in the later rounds, and the ref must have warned him over twenty times and didn't take a point off him. Um, but you know, it was a good fight. 
it was good to get the 12 rounds under my belt. Got the experience going into this next fight, so it's not done me any harm. Was there ever a point during that fight where you felt hurt, or was there you know part in that fight where you felt that he started maybe getting ahead because either he landed a big shot or he he just did something that you went oh crap oh crap I didn't see this coming. Yeah, to be honest, he, he caught me with a couple of good shots in the fight, which wobbled me a little bit. But um, it didn't take long for me to recover. You know, I just snapped out of it. And it spurred me on even more just to, to get at him and attack him. Um, but other than that, um, I think he he come out fast at the start of the fight. And then I think when he hit me with them two shots, you know, still there in the ring in front of him. And I think it startled him a little bit. And he just went on the back foot and just wanted to hold for the rest of the fight. So let's focus on now the future here. So after that fight, after every fight where a fighter loses, there's always self-reflection of, all right, I got to do this better. I got to make changes. I got to do this. After yeah. that fight, what did, you, what did you, when you sat down, when you watched it, when you broke it down in an analytical way, like what do you feel that you need to do differently going forward? I mean, is this something about your plan? Is there any changes that you and your team have made in terms of either style, the way you attack? I mean, like, what are some of the things you picked up and you went, okay, I got to do this or else I'll get exposed in future fights. Yeah, I think little changes. Um, I mean, like I said, that was my first 12-round fight. So I probably I was probably a bit cautious, not wanting to start off too fast, not wanting to tire out, a little bit nervous about them sort of things um, because I've only ever gone eight rounds, the full eight rounds before that fight previous. So I think with that, you know, a good solid... 12 rounds under my belt I think knowing in this next fight I can start a bit faster so how tough is it also and I was, I've been wondering this especially with cruiserweights it's not like you know welterweights super middleweights like with, with, Spelfier, uh, with Denzel Bentley your stablemate where you can have a natural progression where it's like oh, okay I'm going from a guy who was Ken Kapanuing to a guy who's now like 18 and two or 17 and three. Mm. It's sort of like you went from Ken Kapanuing to then undefeated prospect in 12 rounds. And that's mostly <laughs> because there's not many cruiserweights. It's just a, between heavyweight and cruiserweight, a lot of guys end up just going straight to heavyweight. How tough was that, you know, not having sort of that buffer in between where you had somebody not as good as, as Richard, but, you know, much better than your previous opponent. Yeah, I think it's just one of those, you've got to take it as it is. Um, but to be honest, it is picking up a lot more over in the UK, the cruiserweight scene. There's a lot of big fights there. Um, but after, after this fight, like I said, we'll be looking at a, the title fights. And then from, from there, I think it'll all be big fights. No, I get that part. I'm just... As I said, it, it's tough where it's not like, and I'm looking at the rankings here, and it's sort of you, Sam Hyde, McCullough, you know, Laval, all in that sort of 7 through 10. And <clears> then you <throat> drop down to, let's say, 11 through 19, and it's a lot of kids who are 4 and 0, 9 and 1, 5 and 1. Yeah. That's tough not having sort of a lot, you know, more depth where in like welterweight or other or, or middleweight or even yeah. like middleweight. There's, you know, there's guys who are veterans who that your team could go going, all right, we'll start with down with a 10 round challenge. And this guy here is a little more trickier. We can beat him probably when you're on your best, but it's not like just Richard was number two, you were number yeah. three, you know, and Lawrence Collins yeah. number one in the UK. It's like, oh, that's about it for cruiserweights. Yeah, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. Um, it's just, we find it very tough at the minute because. It's we, you know we're struggling to get fights. But previously to this fight, we had a, we had a title fight set. Um, unfortunately, the guy pulled out. I just don't think he wanted the fight. Uh, we tried for more people, you know, of good rankings for for the same title fight for the WBO European, and we tried six or seven people. They all turned it down. They said no, and we're finding it real, you know, really hard to get opponents. Um, and even like the guys in the lower records, well, you know, like like this guy is, you know, even these sort of guys are saying no. So it's, we found it really hard to get opponents. 
If you're just tuning in, ladies and gentlemen, once again, we get Jack Massey on the show here. We're talking all things, of course, his upcoming fight, November 28th. We're talking his loss to Richard Riakapur. We're talking cruiserweights here. Let's talk about this past year. It's been it's been an adventure, I'd say, for everybody in this world with coronavirus, especially fighters in terms of you've been on quarantine, I'm guessing, in terms of a country. You can't yeah. leave. Couldn't go to the gym for a while. There was no yeah. momentum going on. You're stuck with Netflix. Uh, how tough was it not just binge eating, watching TV? Next thing you know, you're, you're going, holy crap, I'm Anthony Joshua's went. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty tough. Um, but it was, um, you know, boxing's one of them. I had to stay ready. You know, I stayed fit. Luckily, we had a bit of nice weather in the first lockdown from March earlier this year. So, you know, I was getting out doing plenty outside, doing a lot of running, uh, outdoor swimming, stuff like that, and keeping fit because you never know what's around the corner. You know, they could, you know, give you a fight three weeks notice like that. So you've always got to stay ready in the boxing game. Um, but I can't complain. You know, there's, there's a lot of people a lot worse off than me. You know, there's people that have lost their jobs, lost family members, you know, people have passed away, unfortunately. So, you know, I'm not going to p- complain. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah. How tough was it for you in terms of, you, you know, this should have been a year where you start, you know, making more money. So yeah. You start providing for family members and you could do this and that, this and that for your mother, your father, your your yeah. siblings. And because yeah. of all this, you can't help them out. You're just stuck. You know, I'm guessing that you were taken care of by Frank, you know, or you've given some money here and there. But how tough was it, you know, having your momentum stop, not being able to fight? And not be able to help everybody because you're the same boat as them. It's like I I can't work. You know, my 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 job is shut down. I have no idea when I'm coming back. Mm. I can't help you guys. Yeah, it was very tough. Um, you know, it's, it got me down at the beginning, but you got to think. You know, everyone's in the same boat. Everyone, pretty much globally, is in the same boat. So, not not boxing wise, but you know, job wise, and everyone's stuck in a pandemic. So. If it was just me, I'd feel worse. But because everyone else is in the same position, it's it's just one of those you just got to get on with it, uh, keep training, stay mentally focused, and 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 just keep training hard. At what point were you starting to you know get? I don't want to say just you know frustrated, but when were you getting sort of this that that itch to like fight? Like when do you start get? When was it getting to the point where like? You're, you're, you you have, you can't even be near the phone because you feel, okay, I'm going to call Frank Warren again. I know I called about, you know, two hours ago, but damn it, I want to get a fight because you know what? I'm going <laughs> to start crazy sitting in this goddamn house. Yeah. Uh, I think the worst bit was when we was sort of allowed to start training and allowed to box. Um, like I said before, we got the title opportunity for the WBO European. And that was set for probably eight to ten weeks uh the fight the contract was signed with the with the opponent and then the opponent pulled out he was a bit flaky from the start to be honest and then he pulled out and we tried to get more and more people and I, I, it it was just i think that was the most frustrating part to be honest the i guess the good the bright side maybe is how much did this help you in terms of you got healthy you weren't you know walking i'm guessing because after your fight sometimes you're a bit dinged up you're a bit worn down. It's tougher yeah. to, you know, fight somebody because you're having nagging injuries. How much did this, uh, after that fight with Richard, did this fight here, did you, how, how much was it a benefit having time just to recover, you know, your body goes through, you know, a full recovery, and you and your team can actually sit down, break apart the fight, and then go forward in terms of, all right, we're going to put on more penwasoid. Okay, we're going to do this differently here. We're going to get... We're going to start setting things up so we're ready next time we fight somebody in a 12-round fight. Yeah, you know, it was it was nice to have a bit of a break. Um, not 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 nearly a full year, though. <laughs> but, um, you know, after the fight, me and my girlfriend went to Thailand for a nice break for two weeks. I proposed to her over there, so that was nice. You know, we had a nice chill over there. But, um, yeah, it was good to, uh, you know, get back in the gym after as well. And look at the fight, see where what things went wrong, um, but you know that just happened on the night. But yeah, 
last question before we let you go, because I know we're pressing for time here. It changes no now because you're now a married man or you're about to be a married man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I know you were, we're joking and laughing here, but it's the start of a family. It's no longer just, well, if I, lo- if I lose, it's just me. It's, it's no one going to affect me now. Now, you know, you have your wife. You, you know, you'll soon be have a little one here because she will probably want a little one. You're going, well, <laughs> I need a little one here because I need to watch TV yeah. and I need a, a son to bond with here. But it, does it change in terms of that, how you think, how you act, how you carry yourself in the gym, out, outside of the gym and everything? Because yeah, there's definitely. people reliant on you now. It's it's no longer, you know, an army of one. You have it now. It's two people it's, in this whole yeah. thing together. Yeah, you're a team. And, um, you know, eventually when you do have kids, you know, it, it becomes about putting food on the table and, you know, looking after you. You seem to be wife and and your, and your kids, so uh, you know it's 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 more of a bit of a survival thing, putting food on the table. So you know that gives you spurs you on more. Well, very happy, ladies and gentlemen. It's going to be uh, all the way this November twenty eighth. It is Dubois versus Jones. It's going to be this man here voting action against once again, and it's a long name, Muhammad Ali. Farat Barat, I give you it's once again uh, the man it's one uh, was the man one smack himself. Jack Massey. Uh, Jack, before I let you go, where can the fans check you out at? Where is the Twitter page, Instagram, the website? Where can fans hit you up at? So my Instagram is Jack Massey Boxing. Um I think my Twitter's Twitter name's the same. I can't I can't think of it off the top of my head. Uh, I'm also on Facebook as well, so Jack Massey. And uh, make sure you watch the fight. That'll be live on BT Sport on the 28th of November. So make sure you look out for a good, exciting fight. Jack Massey, ladies and gentlemen, once again, it's going to be November 28th. Dubois versus Joe Joyce. It's Jack Massey versus Muhammad Ali Bayat Farid. Only on the BBC. Uh, We come back, though. We got a whole lot more here. Only on it is last call. Last call for the alcohol. Only on it is the Blue Wire Hustle Network. Stay tuned for more great action here only on the network. It is the Blue Wire Hustle Network. And now, join me on the line. This man here, but he's going to talk about what's going on in the world of mixed martial arts. One of the rising young reporters in this sport, and a man who is well uh, has everything on the tips with MMA, with my MMA news and uh, the at the scrap news. I give you it's uh, the man, the myth, legend. I give you it's Lucas Grandshire. Uh, Lucas, start off here with. UFC, uh, it was UFC 253. Uh, Devin, once again, Devin Figueroa keeps on winning. He keeps on just trucking people here. 
is he even is he the star that the UFC needs for flyweight? I know that you know the language barrier still is a little bit tricky with him, but is he the guy that the UFC needs to help build the flyweight division? Oh, that's a that, that's a tough question. I don't know if he's. I mean, do they need a star? Yes. I don't know if it's necessarily him. I mean, I, I, he's getting the the submissions and everything, the knockouts. He's entertaining to watch, but like you mentioned, the language barrier. There's there's a few things that kind of bother me in terms of him becoming a star. I liked Sahudo in terms of, you know, being a star and really bringing that sort of uh, that character and all that stuff. But Figueredo, I mean, he lets his his fighting do the talking. So I'm not sure what that's going to do in terms of being a star. But it, it's certainly it's certainly a good champion to have in the division because he is entertaining. And I get, I get the point about Henry Cejudo. I guess my problem with Henry was it was cringeworthy. It was Oh, yeah. You know, it, we, we joke about Colby Covington being a novelty act or, you know, a parody act here. That was Henry Cejudo. He just didn't really sort of – he when you usually got that fact, he, oh, my God, this guy might take himself too seriously here. <laughs> how much – and I get the whole thing, what you're saying with Devison, but how much do you like a guy who just goes in there, beats people up, finishes the job, and he just seems to go, eh, screw this. You know what? I'll let my, my, I'll let my hands do the talking. No, for sure. I, I love it. But the key word you used was star and, and star doesn't appeal to people like you and me because we, we, we're not casuals. We're not tuning in, uh, you know, based on the name value. It's like we're tuning in because we like it. But if you're a casual fan, you've probably seen Henry Cejudo's cringe, you know, crap at this point, you know, somewhere on social media. Well, Figueredo he's more of a guy that if you were to try to convince, say, a, a casual fan why you should watch it, you'd tell him about the infight stuff. You know what I mean? So it's the fact that you star in terms of, you know, me. Like, say, put the journalist stuff aside simply as a fan. I, you know, I love to watch Figueredo, love to watch him fight. So I love having him as a champion. But the, the key word you used is star. And that's why I lean towards Henry Cejudo when we say star. But in terms of guys that put their heads down and just go out there and fight, let their you know, finishes do the talking, I definitely like him a lot. Break it down for me here with, with Devison. What, what changed with him? Because he was pretty good. Uh, even up to the Jewish year for me to fight. But ever since then, it's almost like he just turned on a notch. I mean, he's now finishing Tim Elliott with a guillotine choke, finishing Joseph Benavidez first time with grounded pounds, second time rear naked choke. But he takes Alex Perez, who most people thought was going to be a challenge at least. Guillotine choke first round. I mean, what from what when you've seen him as a reporter and as a fan, what changed with him in terms of going from pretty good fighter to just a dominant force right now with the flyweight division. I mean, this is just an example of, you know, guys that start to figure it out. I mean, he was getting the finishes and everything. He was kind of under the radar. He's been in the UFC since 2017. And then he just hit another gear and he was starting to get the right matchups and everything. And he's starting to put everything together. I mean, some guys that simple as the right matchups. Some guys, you know, they're, I mean, he was 15 and 0 by the time he fought Juicy Formiga. And it just seemed like it was his time. And he's peaking at the right time in his career. Just, just from watching him, it seems like he's finally kind of put everything together. And this is, you know, if you're watching his rise, like I mentioned, he was 15 and 0, his only loss. He's got one loss. This was bound to happen if you're watching him fight. And it's it's exciting to watch it happen. I think he really has hit another gear since, you know, guys like Tim Elliott and obviously finishing Benavidez twice. That's damn impressive. Let's, when we talk about impressive, let's talk about a woman we can say is on the verge of stardom. And hopefully with the movie with Halle Berry coming out, that will in the, increase it. Valentina Shevchenkov. It, it was it's a boring performance for her, and yet she mm -hmm. still takes Jennifer Maya, who's a damn good fighter and has fought as high as bantamweight, and just dominate her. I mean, there was nothing that Maya could do. There was nothing that Maya could, you know, threaten her with. Is she on? Is she on the verge of stardom? I mean, when you look at her, when you look, when she's mastered the English language, she's. This blonde hair, blue-eyed Russian, you know, assassin. She seems to be you now doing some more Hollywood stuff. She knows, seems to, have to, she understands how to market herself here. Is she the next sort of Misha Tate-like star for a women's division, especially for the UFC, which ever since Ronda left, there's been that void? Uh, I'm going to say no, because yeah, you mentioned some good points outside the cage. She's doing things right. You know, she's being marketed and stuff, but in terms of the in-fight stuff, she's just not entertaining enough. I mean, the fight against Liz Carmouche where, you know, they faint for five rounds and threw like three strikes. I mean, performances like that hurt the, the Jessica, I knockout. It seemed like, you know, that was the time to capitalize. You know what I mean? She was coming off uh, the, the win over Joanna Yunjacek. 
she'd gotten that super dominant victory over Cachuera. Like you were looking at her and you're like, okay, after this fight against Jessica, now's the time to capitalize. And, and the fights after that were kind of lackluster. You mentioned it this past fight. A lot of people were calling it boring. I mean, if it was going to happen, it was going to happen in the past. You know, once you beat people like Holly Holm and at this point, it's kind of like, I feel like if it was going to happen, it's going to happen. And at this point, I mean, she's just going to be a fun dominant champion, but I see her similar to Demetrius Johnson in terms of the way she's seen by fans where it's like, we respect the fact that, uh, you know, they go out there and they beat everyone and they're dominant about it. But in terms of being a star, I don't think so. Is there anybody that can bring out the best in her? I mean, in a perfect world, you, me, and the whole MMA community would go, yes, Ali Mimile McFarland, Valentino Shinchenko, <laughs> please take our Ember right. F money here. But we know that Coker and uh, Dana White will never do that. Is there a plan B? Is there somebody in, the, in that flyweight division you're going, she's brutal, she's, you know, a force of nature. She might actually bring out sort of, that violence in Shevchenko that we want in that dominant champion. Well, the thing about her style is that she's a counter striker, right? She lets you lead. And a good example of that is the fight against Holly Holm. So that's always going to limit her in terms of how exciting she is. Cause you know, she's never going to come out and just, you know, like this blaze of glory, try to get the quick knockout. If I have to pick someone though, I would tend to lean towards Lauren Murphy. You know, Lauren has a, you know, she's coming off a bunch of wins. She has a style that's very solid. She's known for her toughness. And I believe she she did some sort of test and then found out she was the strongest person in the division physically. So, you know, if if I had to pick someone, I would say Lauren Murphy. That seems to me like maybe the matchup that's going to bring something out. But I, I just don't know. I mean, with, with her style and the fact that it seems like someone's so far behind, I just don't know who who's going to bring out that violence, really. Let me throw a name out there. Jessica Andre, somebody who oh, yeah. is, 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 is said, she's a miniature Tyson. She's pound for pound one of the strongest women in the division. She comes forward. Nothing real, you know, technical. She's just a, a rudimentary, you know, hook and hook and slam kind of fighter. Is that something that could bring out maybe the best in Valentina in terms of she'll be pushed? She might get hurt. She might also find a way to just finish and drop, you know, Andre. Uh, you, you know what? I understand why why you would think that, but I think a great fight to look at that to, to shut it down just a little bit would be the fight uh, Andrade versus uh, Jacek. You know, you go back to that fight. like It was a good fight, but it was a kind of dominant performance where it just felt like Jessica had nothing for her. And I, I think we could see something a little bit similar. Obviously, her power is that X factor, but, you know, I, I just don't know. Valentin has a very careful style. She knows how to adjust for every kind of opponent. I'm, j- I'm just not sure if she would make enough mistakes to really you know, get dropped against these people. I mean, you've seen the, the high level of striking she has. So Jessica could for sure be an interesting one, but I just, I don't know, honestly. One of the fights which featured good, uh, and I hate using the words good versus evil, but it, it, in a lot of ways it was. Tim Means, who has done everything right, pillar of a community, you know, busts his ass off, always makes weight versus Mike Perry. Let's face it here. If Tim Means lost that fight, there's a bare chance he gets cut. Mike Perry... Loses a fight again, shows up out of weight, doesn't get, you know, still has been, still is not in threat of being cut. What does Mike Perry have on the UFC? And why is it the UFC keeps just letting Mike Perry hang around despite the fact he's allegedly assaulted his girlfriend multiple times, has assaulted an old man, you know, dropped racial slurs on a Hollywood actor, didn't care has problems at weight, and Bo, by the way, he's three and six in his last nine fights. What's the appeal here? I mean, I'm missing it, but why has he not been just given the pink slip? Yeah, it's a weird one. I mean, ever since he got signed to the UFC, like, there's so much hype behind him, and it was like, why? And it kind of felt like people kind of wanted to watch him lose a little bit, right? Like, there's the people that love him for whatever reason, then the people that hate him, but we're still going to watch him fight anyways. I mean, yeah, I don't know what it is. I think it's the fact that we're talking about it, though. All fight week, it felt like we talked more about Mike Perry than anybody else. And I think that's the key is, you know, we're talking about him, we're paying attention to him. And that's why the UFC, it's like, I mean, listen, we, we can keep hanging on to him, but it's, it's definitely a strange one. But coming from the UFC, I'm not surprised they've done weird stuff like that before. But, you know, and Mike Perry looked really bad. I mean, even physically, like Mike Perry is known for being in insane shape physically. And we saw him in this one. He looked kind of, kind of flat, kind of soft. I mean, I don't, I don't know, man, this is a weird one all around, but I think I think the UFC are probably going to start having that kind of conversation. Like, you know, what, what's kind of next for Mike Perry and do we need to seriously consider perhaps cutting him? And especially if he starts to lose weight more often or miss weight. And if he's losing fights on top of it. Well, I'll be, I'll be putting put something more 
fearful. Could Mike Perry be UFC's war machine? And we know what happened <laughs> with War Machine and Christy Mack, and that really gave MMA a black eye in a lot of ways because it exposed sort of how there are some guys who just don't belong with sport. They're just, they, you know, so, you know, they're mentally, you know, emotionally, they just don't belong. We can, the more you read on Mike Perry's girlfriend, the more you see Perry just snap, the more he, you hear that he has said, yeah, I have an alcoholic problem, but I'm not really going to help. I mean, do you look and go, he's just one, just, you know, walking into the wrong door, turning into War Machine 2.0. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the, the most worrying thing is the fact that he doesn't have that structure around him. You know, I mean, he let go of his coaches. He doesn't even have a corner and stuff like that. It's like, you know, your coaches kind of hold you accountable and they they make sure you're ready for the fight and stuff like that. I mean, and even in life, I guess that's very helpful for a lot of fighters. But the fact that he's just dropped everyone like that, it, it is worrying because you're like, who's who's holding him accountable? Who's, you know, keeping him on the right track? So you're, you're right. It, it does seem like a little bit of a ticking time bomb. And you know, one of those things where he might seem very nice when he does media and stuff like that, but maybe behind the scenes, you know, he, he tends to explode and have these big anger issues and stuff. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a concern for sure. Last, last note of this card, uh, Paul Craig tapped, got Marisha, got Shogun Ruud tapped the strikes. I don't like telling fighters to retire. It's not my business that they should go on, keep fighting as long as they want. How, you, uh, you're a fan, though. If you could, if you could walk up to Shogun and say, you know, maybe it's time for you to just, you know, have that grand one last fight and retire, a la John Fitch or a la even Ricardo Lamas. Is it time? I mean, has it gotten to the point where you look at Shogun and go, why are you still doing this here? What, what what's the point of you fighting? Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, the, the thing is, when he was on that three-fight winning streak uh, and he had most recently fought Valance, I thought, you know, this is the last run. We're going to see him, and maybe weirdly enough, get some kind of title shot, which there's no way he's winning, but he'll, you know, potentially get one. And then he got knocked out viciously against Anthony Smith, and in my mind, it was like, uh, let's come back down to earth. And that, for me, that was kind of the end of Shogun. And then he came back and, you know, he, he beat Tyson Pedro, and you're like, okay. And then the weird fight against Craig, and then obviously Nogueira, and it was like, he just went more and more downhill you know he's not finishing fights really I mean Pedro I believe Pedro had an injury which helped the finish and this one was like the ultimate you know it's yeah I mean it's time the the thing is you mentioned something I love it's the retirement fights I love retirement fights I think everybody should take one but you know please if you have a retirement fight you need to fight a can like you know Anderson Silva fighting uh Uriah Hall like what a terrible retirement fight to have so but yeah if I were to meet Shogun you know obviously you don't want to tell a man to retire but it's definitely time to at least have that conversation and think about it. I mean, if you're one of these people where you think like, I'm going to retire when I'm no longer a title contender. Well, now's that time. Cause at this point, you're no longer a title contender. If you're just tuning in, ladies and gentlemen, once again, we got Lucas Branshire here on the show. We're talking all things, of course, uh, UFC 253. We're talking the retirement or possible retirement of Shogun rule. We're talking what makes a star not from performances, Let's definitely talk about Bellator, their fight card. Uh, we both can agree this, I, I'm assuming. A.J. McKee could be a star, especially if they put him on CBS. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out that, that submission he got over <laughs> Darian Caldwell. Uh, it's a modified neck crank, you know, shoulder crank. Is there – and I hate to be, you know, be, you know, over the top, but is it safe to say that he might be the best – featherweight in the world forget about you you know UFC included and you know rise include everybody else that right now he is just on levels that we haven't seen right now uh yeah I don't think you can say that I mean if you're, if you're considering everybody I mean you know would you favor his chances against Volkanovsky Holloway all those people I mean I'm not I'm not sure about that but obviously he's got that very impressive record and he's beating more and more big competition but yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm excited for him, but I, I don't think at this time right now he's he's like the best, you know, featherweight in the world. Were you surprised at the submission? The way that he, it's almost like he set it up. And you figure Caldwell has been around the block, knows how to defend, you know, chokes, knows how to defend arm bars here. I mean, you how, how weird of a, of a submission was it? And how much credit does he give McKee in terms of just knowing how to, you know, figure for the body, trap the head, get the shoulder, and, you know, all the small stuff that we haven't seen yet, especially from 
a guy who usually doesn't get taken down. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure out what that submission was. I mean, everybody was calling it a choke. It looked to me like maybe it was doing something with his shoulder. But yeah, it's it's the kind of submission where it shows his level on the ground, first of all, against a wrestler like Caldwell, but it also shows this ability to hunt for the finish and find something out of nothing. Like the guy invented a, a McKeotine or whatever we're calling it. You know, it's it's impressive and it shows, uh, you know, the, the the well-roundedness and it shows the potential too. So it's, you know, for me, it was extremely impressive. I remember watching it and seeing him sort of lock it up and I'm thinking, you know, there's, there's no way this, whatever this thing he's doing is going to work. And then I see Caldwell start to struggle and you see his face turn red and I was like, oh my God, whatever this thing is, he's, he's got it. So I'm extremely impressed by that one. Could he be the face of Bellator? I mean, considering that he, you know, is very outspoken. He has that swagger. There's nothing real cringeworthy when he talks trash. You know, it doesn't sound forced or fake. For a company that's been trying to get that homegrown star, and they've had somewhat, you know, with Chandler, with Pitbull, could AJ McKee be that guy, the one that they can trot out and say, you know what, if you want to buy a Bellator event, this is the guy you got to watch. This is the face of the company. 100%. 100%. And is there someone more Bellator homegrown than a guy who's got 17 fights, all of them with Bellator? I mean, yeah, this is the guy. I mean, you know, he he kind of has to be champion, I think. I think once you're champion, that's where truly, you know, you can explode to new heights and that's the guy you can trot around. But he, he's got that potential. I mean, even, you know, he knows how to talk. He knows how to cut a promo. He, he understands how the media works. Like he's got so much potential, you know, and he's finishing fights. I mean, you know, the submission went viral. Like, this guy can definitely be the face of Bellator. And if he becomes champion, you know, I, I can't even imagine just how big that's going to be, especially with a network like CBS. I mean, you know, as Michael Jordan would say, the ceiling is the roof with this guy. Like, he's got so much potential. And if you're Bellator, you have to be excited for it. Jason Jackson beat Benson Henderson. And as I'm watching the fight, and you probably were watching it, you were thinking, I've never seen Benson Henderson look this overwhelmed he could you know he couldn't really finish takedowns when he got takedowns he couldn't do much of him i get it's at welterweight but is he also one of those guys who might have to retire and i look credit to benson henderson he there's almost nobody he has not fought when they put in front of him from pitbull to chandler to frankie edgar twice guys like even Hori masvidal andre you know koreshkov donald cerrone rafael dos Anjos. Anthony Pettis, Nate Diaz, has it is the is it come to an end almost? I mean, have we looked at Benson Henderson gone? Okay, it might be time for him to retire because he's not at that level yet. He might be able to beat you know regional guys and good you know fighters, but he he might not be you know good enough to beat you know the kind of guys he expects to beat. Yeah, I mean for sure it was. I mean, obviously people mentioned he doesn't look quite as good as welterweight, and we saw that. You know, he was taking on, uh, you know, what was it, Brent, Brandon Thatch and Masvidal. We know Masvidal was a lightweight, you know, who was kind of moving up to welterweight at the time. So it seemed like he had potential. But Korshkov was the guy that reminded you that okay, Benson is not a welterweight, and you know we saw that again against uh, Jason Jackson. But I think like a prime Benson Henderson, it wouldn't have mattered. I think he would have found a way to win it and. You know, th- this one for me, uh, you know, you're watching and you're thinking in his prime, would he have lost to a guy like Jason Jackson? You know, like, definitely not. So we can br- blame welterweight, but I think, like you said, you're on to something about that retirement. I mean, the, the end is near. At-, at Bellator, things haven't been quite the same for him, you know, since he left the UFC. You know, his last fight, he got knocked out. I mean, you don't see him get knocked out. I think he's been knocked out, what, twice against Dos Anjos and now Chandler. So there's definitely a lot of worrying signs and, uh, I'd like to see him come back against uh, someone a lot smaller at lightweight, see what he can do. But at this point, you definitely see the the writing on the wall for him. Not quite as dramatically as Shogun, but you definitely know for him the, the end is near. And at how many fights does he have now? Almost 40? That That's normal. If you're Bellator, what do you do? I mean, I, mean, I guess that's a question. And I'm looking at their roster of lightweight, and they've signed a lot of guys who are young. Chris Duncan, for an example. Brett Primus is on the roster. You know, these are young kids here. And I get, and as I said, I get Ben Sanderson is still a damn good fighter. I'm not saying that, but if you're Bellator, are you looking going, do I start stunting the growth of these kids here? I mean, you know, you've invested in Swordbach, Keone Diggs, Duncan, uh, even guys like Chris Gonzalez, Primus, as we mentioned before, Gavin Hughes. 
do you want to throw them in there? You know, even a guy like uh, Kane Musa or Mandel Nala, do you want to, you know, throw them in there against Ben Henson Henderson and he finds a way to eke out a victory to sort of, you know, hold the whole division down? Or do you quietly say, hey, look, we'll give you one more fight and we're just going to advance, you know, say adios. We had a good little run together. No, I think what you do for Benson Henderson is you use him for the name recognition. I mean, find another veteran. Like, you know, they were using uh, Huerta at some point who who did fight Benson Henderson. Find guys like that. Find the veterans with name recognition, add them to a main card, and boost your card. And then if Benson Henderson ever reaches a point where you're kind of like, oh, he tends to lose to everybody, throw some of those young guys out there and see what they can do. But right now, I mean, just, you know, kind of ride the train until, you know, until eventually it's time. But, you know, keep boosting your cards, have them fight some – some veterans we might recognize, maybe some that we might not, but there is a, a middle ground between killing the prospects, which I believe you can still do, and then, uh, you know, losing against, uh, you know, some of the higher names. So for me, give us some fun veteran fights and, you know, have some fun with the matchmaking. Like, it doesn't have to be this, you know, thinking about, you know, what's going to get him a title shot or this and that. Like, you you can use his name to, you know, boost your card and stuff like that. And that's what, what I would suggest Bellator should do. When you run down the Bell Tour 253 card, your winners in some of the fights were Jaleel Willis, J.J. Wilson, Jeremy Kennedy, Rafion Stotts, Joey Davis. Some of the losers who, were, who I think still have futures in Bell Tour, Mark Leminger, Keith Lee, Bobby Lee. Quietly, Bell Tour has sort of shifted gears. It's no longer, you know, the old ways where you got these fringe guys you didn't know over a lot of, you know, Russian fighters didn't even know were that good or UFC cast-offs. Outside of Benson, this is an entirely homegrown, you could argue, Bellator card. Rafion Stotts is a Bellator guy. Joey Davis completely is only fought in Bellator. But A.J. McKee, Darian Caldwell. Uh, Kennedy is a free agent, but still, you know, Julia Willis, J.J. Wilson, all these guys they've signed from the, from the regional scene or they developed. Is this basically what Coker had in mind all these years ago? They'll eventually go, I'll get the best young talent that UFC doesn't see or that I can steal away from them. I'm going to build my own brand, and I'm not going to worry about, well, I don't have enough ex-UFC guys or ex-Rising guys or ex-Pride guys. Well, I think he tried the approach with the the name recognition, right? The Rampages. At one point, uh, who was it? Hoist Gracie versus Shamrock, like, he tried that, and to be honest, it really didn't work because all people did, and especially us in the media, we were just criticizing him the whole time. So he tried the approach with, you know, he recognized all these names, and little by little, it was like, we're going to put name recognition, and we're going to put this raw talent, and this card is the culmination of, you know, investing in these guys. I mean, there are names like Joey Davis, for example. You know, I was paying attention when he got signed. I've been following him through his career. You, you can see the potential with him, and I, I don't think this was the plan at first, but I think eventually he realized that we can't just be like – uh, a crappier UFC like we might have to invest in these guys because you see the the Bellator homegrown guys like you know the Pitbull brothers and stuff like that they do very well and they have their own name recognition so I think they realized maybe we need to shift that approach and start investing in our guys and you're seeing it pay off because this was a, a really solid card it had some really good fights and you can look on it and say like we didn't have to pull anyone from the UFC or anything to put on a great card and to still have that name recognition so I, I think it's it's a little bit of a, like you mentioned it's a little bit of both like it started Started one way, but now they've switched gears, and uh, it's it's looking it's looking good. It's looking very bright for Bellator. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, as I said, he is one of the rising young journalists in MMA right now. You got to check him out. He has a YouTube page and all that. I give you once again. It is from uh, my MMA news and the Scrap News. I give you it's uh, Lucas Great Insider. Uh, Lucas, before I let you go, where else can the fans check you out? I hear that you're on Spotify now. I hear that you're all <laughs> over the place. Where can the fans check out your work? Yeah, uh, like you mentioned, my MMA news, the scrap. Uh, YouTube, YouTube's a big one. Like, it's always great when people subscribe and watch the content. Uh, I just got the podcast up on, what's it called? Anchor. It just got on Spotify, like you mentioned. I'm working on Apple and everything. So look everywhere. All you got to do is type in my name and you'll find it. So, uh, yeah, there, there you go. That's, that's everything. Lucas Grandin, sire, ladies and gentlemen, once again, we are proud to have him on the show. And uh, we come back. Final thoughts here and a whole lot more only on it is last call. Last call for the alcohol only on it is the Blue Wire Hustle Network. Stay tuned for more great action.
Welcome back, everyone, to It's Last Call. Last Call with the Alcohol, only on It Is the Blue Wire Hustle Network. And I want to thank my two wonderful guests this today. We earlier in the hour had on Jake uh, One Smack Massey on the show. Best of luck to him this upcoming Saturday on the Dubois vs. Joyce pay-per-view card on the BBBOC. Looking forward to him against Muhammad Ali Barat Nafir. In a huge cruiserweight fight, I'm going for Massey, but I'm a bit prejudiced. And, re- and then in the last 25 minutes, we heard from Lucas Grandenshire, one of the top rising box, uh, MMA reporters in the business, knows everything, studies on the game. Looking forward to hearing him more as we bring him on later on the next couple of weeks. The, and first of all, to everybody out there, happy Thanksgiving. Wish you guys very safe and wonderful travels. This Thursday here, forget about what lockdowns they have and COVID. This is time to remember what's going on, what's important in life, and that's always family. I wish everybody out there have a safe, happy Turkey Day. Enjoy the food, enjoy the company, enjoy the people. Because we are social creatures, and damn it, you know what? Every Thanksgiving is about just getting together with family and just enjoying that football, family, and food. But, hey, I digress. Uh, afterwards, it's, I guess, some boxing on this weekend here. I'm going to break down it. It's usually I do a much more in-detailed people, but it is what it is what we have. Uh, Friday night only on zone. we have it's Daniel Jacobs versus Gabriel Rosado. Uh, the debut of lightweight Emmanuel Tago versus Mason Menard. Uh Mama Drazal Majav, a heavyweight against uh, Zaret Delgado. Nikita Abiyai versus Brandon Maddox. And Dianar Yelosunov versus Julius Ndongo here. It is what it is. I mean, look, Daniel Jacobs is in a weird place right now. He is a super middleweight for zone, And right now, they don't have anybody. I mean, you know, getting... A guy by the name of Gabriel Rosado, you know, Rosado was was a very damn tough 154-pounder. He, you know, 160, he got exposed for not having enough power. At 168, I don't see him doing well. And look, this is the same guy who, you know, lost to Masia Saluki, lost to Martin Murray, lost to William Monroe, had, you know, had he... A win over Glenn Tapia, who was shot at that point. A win over Humberto Ochoa, hands okay. A draw with Luis Arias in a fight, which was kind of got awful. And it is what it is. As I said, he's just... And this is the last fight I've heard on Daniel Jacobs' own contract. And I don't know where he goes. If he's, you know, if a smart money says... He goes up to super middleweight, and he signs with the PBC. They have, of course, Caleb Plant. They have David Benavidez. They have a Charlo brothers, who, who eventually, Jamal Charlo will make his way up to 168. That much I'm certain of. But if you're if you if he signs with Eddie Hearn, it's like, okay, where does he go? What happens here? Because there's just not much at this guy basically at 168. I mean, you don't have much there. I mean, you can say Canelo Alvarez, but Canelo already beat Danny Jacobs. And now that, you know, that fight happened, now that it's over, do you, you know, Jacobs, Jacobs won't get a rematch. It wasn't close enough to be a rematch. It wasn't exciting enough to be a rematch. So that's sort of down, the, you know, the drain here. Could he fight Demetrius Andre? You know, get Andre to come up? Maybe, but they're very good friends. They said it's a it's a last case scenario. Whereas Billy Joe Saunders, but he you know he's he's making googly eyes at the winner of of Canelo Alvarez versus Calum Smith. So I doubt that happens. You know you're looking at you know Fedor Shudinov. Does Jacob you know does Eddie Hearn make enough money for Shudinov to come down to the United States? Uh, There's Eric Bazinian. There's you know David Lemieux. It's you know, they're good fights, but nothing really great. And that's sort of a tough part here if you are Daniel Jacobs. You know, all roads lead right now to PBC fighters. Ivy Medium. 
David Benavides, uh, Darrell, Caleb Plant, David Morrell Jr. Those are all guys of the PBC. Uh, as I said, you know, he could take on a Rocky Fielding. He could take on a John Ryder. But, you know, eventually, if you're Jacobs, the bigger fights are going to be somewhere else. And we'll see what happens here. Uh, if you're looking for a sneaky good fight on this weekend here, I would say it is Julius Ndongo versus Deniar Yelyusunov. Because Yelyusunov is a damn good fighter. This is a guy who, in the Olympics, was considered one of the best boxers in the 2016 you know, games down in Brazil. This is a man who... A lot of people were surprised at when Eddie Hearn stole him away because they thought he'd end up in Europe. Uh, as I said, he was the gold medalist in the 2016 games. And look, you know, he's been winning all these fights. He's been, you know, been stepping him up, you know, slowly here. Julius, you know, Ndongo is still a guy who is damn dangerous. And yeah, I get it. He's coming off, you know, two losses in his last three fights. Terrence Crawford, probably the best, you know, light welterweight before that. And right now he's one of the top welterweights in the world. Regis Progra, one of the best right now at 140. I mean, it's not like Indongo was losing to guys who were just god-awful. He was losing to guys who were elite. Is Danny Yelisunov that good? I don't know. We'll find out. As I said, it's going to be at the Seminole Hard Rock Total Casino in Hollywood, Florida for the vacant IBF Air Canal welterweight title. It's it's basically a fight which we're going to learn a lot about Daniyar Yelisunov. Is he legit? Is he a elite-level fighter? Is he somebody that's sort of in between? We'll find out here. Uh, Saturday's card, and I, I use the word with direct, saying card it's everything sometimes it's wrong with boxing and part of it is because of the fights themselves you start off with jake paul who to me is just trash 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 he's a youtuber who basically makes an ass out of himself he'll be fighting nate robinson who's not a fighter at all but was a legit, you know, two-sports star coming out of college and high school who was an NBA player, a phenomenal athlete. And if it's going to be with headgear, if it's going to be with big gloves here, well, might as well make that, fu make that fight. And I use that word loosely. And I do mean the word, you know, loosely here. But, yeah, you might as well make it. It's, it is what it is. You also have on the twenty eighth card a it's an, it's an exhibition basically, and it is none other than Roy Jones Jr. versus Mike Tyson. Now they're not going to score it; they won't count out. They won't count knockdowns. I don't know what it is. I mean, I get it here. Sometimes we love to see our heroes. We'll do anything to see them, and you know, God willing, hopefully. Here's where, you know, it's it's fun for those who pe people who buy it, but if you're buying it, you get you are you're getting what you get. It's the clown show. It, it's really what it is. My Mike Tyson is in his fifties. Roy Jones Jr. is also a guy past his prime. Uh, you know, if they'd been in their heyday, you know, maybe there'd be something to see, but otherwise, you're, you're looking at basically. Crap on crap. And that's not take away. They're both in fantastic physical shape. Could they kick my ass? Yes, they could. But do you want to see that happen? I mean, do you want to see two guys who just aren't that good? You know, they don't belong in there. And what happens if somebody gets really hurt? If you're going to watch boxing this weekend, I'll tell you the card to watch. And you can probably have to go, you know, go through several cable channels. You can probably get to go... Find out on uh, you go on ESPN Plus, but the best heavyweight fight this year is going to be Joe Joyce versus Daniel Dubois. As I said before, it's Jack Massey versus Muhammad Ali, Bayat Farid, and when Hamas Shiraz versus Guido Pito, 
Jack Catterall versus uh, Abderaz Huya, but Dubois versus Joyce is that rare treat you get. It is the one rarity where you get a two young prime heavyweights earlier in their career facing off each other. Uh, look, Daniel Dubois, I have talked to him several times. He's a phenomenal man. You know, he is. Many say the next great heavyweight. Six foot five, 78 inch reach, only 23 years old, 15 wins, 14 by knockout. He is somebody that, you know, when you talk about, you know, the next elite heavyweight, he is at, he is at that right there. He is the one you talk about. And him and Joe Joyce have been two guys who have been circling each other. Joe Joyce is six foot six. On 80-inch reach. Uh, he's also a guy who, you look at him and he is 11 wins, 10 by knockout. He's been in there. He's beaten guys like Bermaine Stiverne, Alexander Yusinov, Brian Jennings. Went the distance with Jennings here. Michael Wallish. It's a 50-50 fight. This is basically who lands the big shot, who hurts the man first. And look, as I said, this is going to be, at its best, two phenomenal young heavyweights who are finally getting the chance to see who is the best in the UK and who is probably the best in the world in terms of guys who are not named Fury or Joshua. Winner of this fight, right of the driver's seat. Loser? Not bad, but you know nothing that you know that it won't be. It might have to take a couple more fights for a title. But either way, if you have to watch a fight this weekend, don't don't focus on the past. The past is the past. Focus on the future, which is Joyce versus Dubois. I'm telling you, it is must see TV. You can watch it only on ESPN Plus if you have it here. I'm definitely gonna be watching it because I am looking straight towards this fight. This is gonna be just spitting. Fire, as they say. But then again, what do I know? I just watch boxing and MMA. But we got to wrap this up. As I said, it's uh, Thanksgiving time here. We will be back on Friday. I have two phenomenal guys who have some stories to tell. UFC featherweight Rick Glenn. That's right. He's been gone for almost two years. We're going to find out what the hell happened to him. What's going on? We'll talk about him and as he joins the show. Plus, Mike Rodriguez, a man who's been screwed by the Nevada State Athletic Commission. We're going to forget his term on what's going on, uh, his thoughts on certain referees, that and a whole lot more there. But we got to wrap, as I said, we got to wrap this up. Once again, for my the wonderful guests I've had today, for is Luke Gra you know, Gradshire, for Jay Jack Massey, who will be fighting this weekend once again only on his Beat Dubois versus Joyce. This is Chris Connor saying, I'm out of here. Stay tuned for more great action. Only on it is Last Call. Last Call with the alcohol. And you're listening to it. It's the Blue Wire Hustle Network. Stay tuned, everyone, and happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy it while it lasts and have some turkey and some uh, some beers while you're watching the games and enjoying family.